Thanks, Roberta, and g'day, everyone. Good to see you here this morning, and g'day to everyone connecting online. Thanks for saying hi already. Some people on YouTube, as you connect from wherever you are. Um, and thanks, too, for those who have pointed out the typo in today's Bible study. Um, it's good there's astute Bible readers in this church. There's no such thing as Exodus 53. It's Isaiah 53 uh, for you to reflect on like we read um, last week. Um, thank you, too, for those who have been asking about a few people who are missing from our gatherings at the moment uh, since COVID. Um, the way that we know that they're missing is that we're missing their blessed interruptions. David Dawson, who normally would sit down here and would normally call out things that he's praying for and his own astute and very insightful reflections on the sermon. Um, true story, amazing Bible reader is David. Um, he, it's a bit beyond him now to come out of the nursing home. Uh, so keep praying for him. Thank, thanks to Michael Brown too, who keeps visiting him. Uh, pray that Michael might summon the humanity to let David win at chess. Um, the other blessed interruption that you might notice we're missing is Isaac Amin's phone that doesn't ring during the service. Um, Isaac has been around for a long time. He struggled to live on his own over in Fisher Street after his wife died about eight or nine years ago. Um, about six months ago, he was struggling to live on his own and so moved into his daughter's home in Marylands. And a couple of weeks ago, he passed away. Um, and so do pray for the Amin family as they grieve his loss, including his cousin who just lives in uh, Houghton Street here and his friends from uh, the Middle Eastern community in Church Street here as well. Um, as well as being a pastoral update for you, I highlight that this morning because I think it reminds us as a church, we are not an immaculate community. We're not free uh, from those blessed interruptions. We're not committed to slick productions like a TV show that's free from noise and interaction. Uh, we're a chaotic place. I hope that's okay. That's what we're meant to be. Because we're full of relationships. We're full of people. There's a lot of mess in this room and in this church. And we're all in it together. Patience is necessary. More grace is required than often I can muster. Forgiveness needs practice. Other person-centred and self-sacrificial love is always required and is beautiful when demonstrated. Humility is the only condition that we can sit together in knowing that at the foot of the cross, each of us are undeserving recipients of the costly love and the reconciling peace of Jesus' sin-bearing death in our place. Need, messiness, broken lives, failures big and small, that's not an embarrassment to us. That's not an intrusion into our otherwise pristine environment here. That is the order of the day. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That needs to be true of all of us, 
Naked, we come to him for dress. Helpless, we look to him for grace. Foul, we all to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Friends, that is why we're spending eight weeks sitting at the foot of the cross together. Because we're totally convinced that the cross is what makes any of that possible. The cross is the source of gracious love, of patient endurance, of costly forgiveness, of persevering joy, of reconciled love between people and between us and God. And at the very heart of the cross of Christ is the idea that Jesus died in our place as our representative substitute. He died the death that we deserved, but he also died our death our death to sin so that we can live to righteousness and that's what we're spending some time reflecting on together this morning that Jesus is our representative substitute we heard it just then in 2 Corinthians 5 two of the clearest statements we have in the Bible about Jesus being our substitute are in that passage right in front of you 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And if you skip down to verse 21, we see it again, that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we in him, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great substitution, the great exchange that happens at the cross. Jesus, the sinless one, takes all our sin upon himself and gives us all his righteousness that we so thoroughly need and so thoroughly don't deserve. We hear time and time again the Bible say that Jesus died for us. He died in our place, on our behalf. That is substitution. And hopefully thoughts keep coming to you from Isaiah 53 from last week and the next few weeks as we unpack this big idea. The idea of substitution is an important aspect that fills out so much of what the cross is all about. It gets to the very heart of the issue that Jesus at the cross stands in our place, dying the death that we deserve for our sin, taking upon himself as our substitute the judgment that we deserved. Uh, It's absolutely central to the cross and to our understanding of Jesus' death. And it was absolutely central, as we saw, in Jesus' own understanding of his death as he walked towards Jerusalem, consistently pointing out time and time again that he goes to the cross to lay down his life for us. Have a look at some of these other verses that you'll see up on the screen. Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Hebrews chapter 9, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The idea of substitution in Jesus' death is central to the Bible's understanding not only of what we need so desperately but what Jesus so graciously does for us. The reason I hit you with a barrage of Bible verses, it's not a particularly effective way of teaching, is it? But I wanted you to feel the the flow of them to see that it's the consistent witness of the Scriptures, particularly in this day and age where the idea of Jesus' substitutionary death is on the nose, not just in the world but even in church circles. We need to come back to what the Bible teaches and let it be our authority as we sit under it. Uh, This past week was the centenary of John Stott's birth and uh, uh, I highly recommend you go and listen to the centenary sermons from All Souls Langham Place. It will do you good. What will also do you good is reading the Cross of Christ, which Uncle John says has more of him in it than any other book. It's the most profound reflection on the cross. This is what John Stott writes in The Cross of Christ. Thanks, Levi. The concept of substitution, he says, lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. We crave and we value independence in our culture financial independence, social independence. We aspire to independent living. We feel weakened and inhibited when our independence is taken away. We want to stand on our own two feet as much as possible. But friends, the cross reminds us that when it comes to sin and salvation our desire for independence is at the very root of sin. I know best. I'm in charge. I want life on my own terms. And if that's our commitment in this life, that will be our eternity in the life to come alienating ourselves from God and residing under his just judgment forever. 
when it comes to the judgment seat of God because of our own sin, our self-substitution for God, us subverting those roles, you don't want to be standing on your own two feet. You want to be standing in the blood of Jesus, the lamb that was slain, who purchased for God people from every tribe and nation and language. Either Jesus stands in as your substitute to take the penalty that you deserve, or you take it on your own shoulders. One of the reasons that people find this idea so hard, not just in our culture, but in the church, is because it doesn't sound particularly fair. And it sounds particularly brutal. And we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble and we tie ourselves in knots when we muck it up thinking about illustrations that create emotional dissonance and make God sound like an absolute jerk and Jesus sound like an innocent third party who should never have been there. Have you ever heard that crazy story that people have used as a description of the cross about the train driver driving a train with hundreds of people on board and he sees his son on the tracks and he decides to to save the people on board and and plough over his son with the train? I'm glad you haven't heard it. Oh! Imagine thinking that's what God was doing at the cross. How awful. No wonder people say, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want any piece of that. People have levelled at the Bible's teaching of Jesus' self-substitution for us that this is simply cosmic child abuse. That God would crush his son in our place instead of us. Again, John Stott says this. I'm going to muck you up here, Levi. What's the next slide? Yep, no, you're all over it. John Stott again says this. He says, We must not then speak of God punishing Jesus or of Jesus seeking to persuade God, pleading for a salvation that God is reluctant to bestow. For to do so is to set them over against one another as if they acted independently of one another or were even in conflict with one another. We must never make Christ the object of God's punishment or God the object of Christ's persuasion for both God and Christ were subjects and not objects taking the initiative together to save sinners. Whatever happened on the cross in terms of God-forsakenness where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was voluntarily accepted by both the Father and the Son in the same holy love that made the atonement necessary. The Father did not lay on the Son an ordeal he was reluctant to bear, nor did the Son extract from the Father a salvation he was reluctant to bestow. point we see in 2 Corinthians 5 is that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Jesus isn't some innocent third party, but in the death of Jesus on the cross, God himself 
substitutes himself for us in the person of his son to take the penalty that we deserve to satisfy his just and holy love and to make forgiveness and reconciliation possible. Jesus, our substitute, but also our representative, because Jesus isn't just the divine son, the second person of the Trinity, who comes in, he comes into the world in a fully uh, embodied incarnation. He takes on flesh. He identifies with us, as we heard from Isaiah 53 last week. He's happy to be counted among the transgressors, to take our flesh truly upon him, that he is both fully God and fully man means that he is fully God. He can be our substitute to take God's just judgment on himself and he is fully man. He can be our representative and begin for us on the cross a whole new humanity that we get to be a part of. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. That whoever is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. That's all possible because Jesus is our representative. He died for all and therefore all died. Not only did Jesus take the death that you deserved, he died your death for sin so that you can live for righteousness. I think even though this can be hard to get our heads around, we get the idea of representation, don't we? All the time. I know we get it because I hear my boys screaming from the other room at the football team. When they lose, we lose. When they win, we win. We get representation. The other joy, sorry, I've cost myself 10 bucks because I've pulled my boys into this sermon without asking them, but um, one of the great joys of my life is the fact that I'm now watching the West Wing with my sons. It's arrived, the moment has come. <laughs> right? And we saw an episode the other day where President Bartlett's standing in the, in the, the Oval Office and says to a very good lifelong friend, don't call me Jed, call me Mr. President. Not because he's pompous and arrogant, but because in that room, he's not just him. He's the president of the whole 300 million Americans. When he says we're going to war, 300 million Americans go to war. Right? We get the idea of representation. And Romans chapter 5 talks to us about Jesus being the head of a new humanity so that at the cross the old is gone as in Adam all died. The new has come as in Christ all will live. By nature and choice, by instinct and by decision, each of us belong to a humanity that is corrupt 
that is under God's just judgment, deserving of hell. And by faith we're brought into a new humanity defined by Jesus and his victory at the cross and his resurrected life. That means we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. One of the things that this means for us as we come to Jesus' death on the cross is that... Sorry, my notes are all over the place. I'm missing something. Anyway, that's okay. One of the things it means that when we come to Jesus as our representative substitute is that we stand at the cross trusting that when he died, he died the death that we deserve, but also that he died our death so that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Let's just keep quoting people. That's the best way to do this. Peter Bolt, our good friend from All Saints, he writes it like this in his book, The Cross at a Distance. He says this, he says, Jesus' death is an inclusive place-taking death. That is, in that he shares our flesh and blood, the flesh and blood of our mortality. But his death is also an exclusive place-taking death, in that he is the one who dies for the many. In the concrete circumstances of his death, Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf, in our place. And a better place to go to quote is the Bible, of course. Here's Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Do you see how that's working? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, comes into the world to rescue lost and 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 dead sinners, those under God's wrath like you and me. He takes on our flesh. He so identifies with us as God and man in order that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The idea of atonement, it's a great word, isn't it? It was invented by William Tyndale when he was trying to translate the Bible and no English word existed. And he came up with atonement that said, at one minute, how is it that God and people can be made one again? 
here it is, at the cross of Christ, where God substitutes himself for us, takes the penalty that we deserve in that exclusive place-taking death. But it's also an inclusive place-taking death in that he died our death for us, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Friends, this is not a pristine community. We're not free of mess and need. We're full of it. And we come together through those doors to sit at the foot of the cross knowing that we don't need to bear the burden of our mess and our need. We bring it to Jesus, our substitute and our representative, who died in our place, who died the death that we deserved, that we might live for him in newness of life. Let me pray that we would know that today. Let's pray together.